gospel. Let's turn to Psalm 14. Psalm 14. We've been doing uh, this series of psalms, beginning with uh, the 10th Psalm, uh, looking at how to pray in the midst of turbulent times. And each one of these psalms that we'll be looking at gives us a new insight into how we can organize our prayers and focus our prayers. Before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that you would open it up to us now in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to pray more effectively, especially in the midst of the times in which we live. And help us to navigate through these turbulent times effectively as your disciples. We do love you, honor you, worship and adore you. And we thank you for all that you have done in our midst and all that you continue to do. Now I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me, that I could bring your word to your people today through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. A number of years ago, I was uh, in the United States, and uh, as I, I would do uh, from time to time, I'd go to the public library to find uh, any interesting uh, new reading materials, and I came across a book called The Happy Atheist. And I was really struck by that, and I thought, I wonder what it takes to make an atheist happy. You know, do, do atheists know happiness? How do they describe happiness? How do they discern happiness? How do they define happiness for themselves? So I grabbed up the book and, and I eagerly dived into it. And after reading about 200 pages of this book, I think it was 200 pages-ish, I came to the conclusion that atheists are only truly happy when they are criticizing Christians. Because that's all the book was. It was diatribe after diatribe after diatribe about the foolishness of uh, people of faith, particularly Christians. They really love to focus in on Christians. And atheists overall have a tendency to focus in on Christians. And so I guess, according to this book, what makes an atheist happy is criticizing a Christian or person of faith. And there seems to be a lot of that going on in our world. And you couple that then with the, the horror that we read about just a couple of days ago that happened in France, where a couple of young men claiming to be ISIS followers. And it's very interesting how in recent stories, 
And, and you'll follow this theme. You, you usually have to read a few days after the event happens where you'll find out that the person who has claimed to be a follower of ISIS or or who has has blamed ISIS for uh, whatever religious fanaticism uh, that they've dealt with, you'll find out that they actually were normally struggling with something inside themselves uh, that actually promoted their activity or led to the horrific thing that they did, probably even more than a a faith, a belief, in, in this case, Allah. But, uh, but we read about these situations where you slit the throat of an 85-year-old defenseless priest in the name of Allah, and you see all of this happening, and you say, what is going on in our world? What is happening that, that somebody would not unthinkingly and intentionally drive a lorry into a group of celebrating people in order to mow down as many as possible? What can be happening in our world when people don't care that other people are starving, where people don't care that other people are dying, and where actually on a day-to-day basis we are rubbing shoulders with people who at a moment's notice are able to do the most unspeakably horrible things to other people. And in fact, the tragedy of our day I think it's not so much that we see these groups like ISIS doing these kinds of things, but that we often will see people who claim the name of Jesus Christ doing things that are a total affront to the name of Jesus Christ. We see people who claim the name of Jesus uh, disrespecting their parents, uh, cheating in the workplace, cheating on their spouses, being willing to kill somebody else, And we think, what is going on? And how do we pray in all of this? How do we navigate this reality? Well, once again, David gives us some insights here in this prayer. Now, if you want to summarize this prayer, it would be the cry, O Lord, save us. Save us, O Lord. Come and restore the fortunes of your people so that we can rejoice and be glad so that we can celebrate your presence. Come and save us, O God. Come and save us, O God. But we need to understand the context of this prayer and what gives rise to this prayer. And it's a perception of the reality of life, of the world, of people that we really desperately need to have. Because our temptation is to think that people are basically decent, hardworking, good people. And we'll find a lot of decent, hard-working, good people, good using good in, in quotes. We'll see a lot of people like this in the world around us, and it's our temptation to assume that everybody is like this. But David resets that expectation. He starts out and he says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now this is very important because our morality as people tends to come in reference to God. Even Western atheistic morality, if you look at it, what, what separates, say, a Soviet atheists from the, from the era, people like Stalin, from Western atheists, is that people like Stalin had totally rejected the concept that there is a God and therefore could easily justify starving or murdering uh, tens of millions of people. 
whereas your typical Western atheist has been raised in a culture that at least on some, at some basis has honored God and its heritage. And that morality of honoring God and its heritage, which is part of our heritage in the UK, all the way going back to King Alfred, who designed a new system of law for, the United, for England at the time, for his people at the time, who designed a system of law that was going to be based on the Ten Commandments. It's a God-referential system, and still today, our society is based on the Ten Commandments, even though we've departed from that in many different ways. And so David essentially is saying here that at the fount of all this evil, at the fount of this wickedness, is actually a denial that there is a God, a denial that there is accountability for those who do wrong. And this happens even in the body of Christ. We got some people who teach this uh, a hyper-grace message that says, you know, there's so much grace, it's grace, 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 and nothing but grace, that it doesn't matter what you do. But the Bible tells us it does matter what we do, and that we are required as the people of God to live our lives in reference to God. And if we fail to live our lives in reference to God, we will do all manners of, of wickedness and evil. And that explains why a Christian can so easily go and cheat on his wife, have an affair, uh, abandon his family, cheat his employer, because they are not living their lives in reference to God. They're not living their lives in reference to the Bible as God's Word. They're actually living their lives as a practical atheist, even though they might claim the foundation of Christianity. And so so Paul, so David is telling us here, that at the foundation of much of the wickedness that there is in the world today is this idea of at least a practical atheism where I do not have to live my life in reference to God because there is no genuine accountability for me as a human being other than that that might be meted out by others in power, others in authority, or others in control, and so on and so on and so on. There's a deep philosophical argument here that obviously we can't go into in the the depth that we'd like. And because foolish people will say there is no God, they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Without a reference to a God who is holy, who is loving, who has standards, ultimately, we cannot do good. We need that. And because it's not present in our world, our world goes in all different directions of corruption and decay. And the Lord looks down from heaven and David says here, on the children of of man, on human beings, to see if there are any who live with wisdom, who live wisely, who seek after God. Because ultimately, the way to live the good life, the way to live your life to the fullest, is to live your life in reference to God. That is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Solomon tells us in the Proverbs. And that is, it's the foundation. 
Living a life in reference to God is the foundation for living wisely. It's a foundation for real love. It's the foundation for grace. It's the foundation for mercy. It's what makes sense of living life well, at least according to the Scriptures. And David goes on, they've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. And David is pointing out something here that we often miss, and that's the fact that not only individually do we tend to, to corrupt ourselves, to, do we tend to act wickedly, but even and perhaps especially when we're together in a group, we can act corruptly and wickedly. You don't have to look much further than the the financial crisis of 2008 to see this and see all the scandals that have happened, you know, from LIBOR rigging to uh, some, see, uh, gold price rigging to foreign exchange rigging, uh, all of these different kinds of things happening and just in one section of society to see that people often left together to their own devices without reference to God will be corrupt and will act corruptly. And that even explains how a church could begin to act in hate-filled ways toward other people in society, not because they're looking at the Scripture and they're finding justification for their actions in the Scripture, but because when they act together without reference to a loving, good God, they will always act in ways that tends to distort and pervert the truth of the Bible. And so David is describing this situation where there's none who does good, not even one. And because of that, they tend to consume those of us who do want to live our lives in reference to God. You see, this is the thing. In a world where God is not honored where people live as practicing atheists, whether or not they claim to believe in a God, ultimately, there will be no respect for the people of God, particularly in this case, the people of Yahweh, the people of faith. And that explains why it's so easy in a society like ours to trash the church in ways that people would never trash Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or atheists, where it's easy to label Christians as intolerant and uncaring, where it's easy to identify us as religious extremists that need to be moved to the margins of society, if not removed from society entirely. So how do we deal with this? Well, first of all, we need to remember God's position in all of this. God is with the generation of the righteous. God is with the children of the righteous. God will always stand with those who are determined to live and act in right relationship with God and with other people. Furthermore, God is the refuge of the poor. There are many who will shame the poor, who will dishonor the poor, who don't recognize the poor. But God is the refuge of those who are poor, of those who do not have, of those who feel excluded and marginalized. 
And so we need to understand at first that even though the whole society may seem to be arrayed against us, we have a God who is for us as we live and walk in righteous relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's in that righteous relationship with God through Jesus that we receive grace, that the Lord becomes our refuge, that the Lord protects us and covers us. And even though terrible things might happen to us, like getting our throats slit by a couple of ISIS thugs, God is still with us and he is still capable of bringing about that which is good and right and honorable. And after all, we don't live just for this life, but also for the life to come. We have to begin with that confidence, knowing that God is for us. And in the midst of that confidence, then we can cry out to the Lord, Oh Lord, save us, deliver us, set us free, come and heal us, come and restore our fortunes that we might rejoice, that we might be glad in you. And that prayer is one that should erupt from our hearts day after day after day after day. Not only for ourselves, but also for the world around us that they might come to know that there really is a God through Jesus Christ, the crucified, resurrected Lord, and that this one true living God is one who loves them that they might come to recognize that there is a God and no longer be fools. And that they might come along with us to live their lives fully in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. O Lord, we cry out, save us. Let your salvation come. Lord, we cry out that you would restore the fortunes of your people, the church of Jesus Christ gathered in this land. We cry out that you would manifest yourself so that we might see you and know you afresh and anew. That you might move in power in our society at every single level to bring about true transformation, reconforming our nation into your will and the likeness that you desire for it. And we cry out that you would send forth the knowledge of your son Jesus Christ that many, many, many of the seven and a half million people around us who don't know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus, receive him as Lord and Savior, and surrender fully to him through Jesus Christ. Oh, Father God, come and save us, we cry out. Let this be our prayer. And Father, I pray as well that you would help us to live in reference to you every single day. Help us not live as practicing atheists, but let us live as genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Come rule and reign in us and through us to the glory of Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.